Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Hello and welcome. It is your Managing Madrid podcast. Um, today is Sunday, December 9th. Um, this is your host, Gabe Lezer. I'm joined by Kian Sabati and Om Arvind. Guys, um, I just wanted to uh, let you all know, apologies for um, not being a midweek show this week. We've done, uh, you know, with Kian traveling and then I, I mean, I had an incredibly crazy a week at my own work. Ohm has finals coming up. They they actually literally wasn't a way for us to um, figure out how to do a uh, a show after the game uh, against Melilla. So today we'll cover both Melilla and Huesca. I want to start though um, uh, just by saying, Kian, welcome back. Um, <laughs> welcome back to the Americas. Um, how was your trip to Spain? Uh, phenomenal. It was, you know, caught a couple of games, Valencia, Melilla. Um, hung up with a lot of cool peeps, met four patrons, which was amazing. Um, and Everybody. I wish I was there. Yeah, it was, uh, they send their regards, um, all of them to, to Om and Gabe and, and everybody else. And um, possibly we'll do more because um, this one was kind of fun. A lot of people message us saying, you know, if it was another day, we, we'd come out, we're working. Um, so it's good to know we have a lot of patrons in Madrid, but ton of fun as always. Um, the day I left... Friday, Seoul was like just I and Seoul is like an insanely busy place, and I've been there like three hundred times. And yeah. as busy as it is, I never seen it as busy as it was when all the Argentinians have had arrived. Like it was yeah, it looked like incredible. just that video you posted just looked like it was overwhelmingly River fans. Yeah, uh, yeah, I I didn't see many, and I didn't see many Boca videos myself, but that's probably just because I wasn't in the right part of town. Um, but, mm-hmm. I mean, the videos from today also, like, that were sent to me that I've seen people post were mostly River Friends. And the atmosphere in the Bernabeu, like, kudos. Like, I'm not a fan of either of those teams playing, but I my heart was, like, in my throat because it looked so intense. It reminded me of, like, the pain of sitting through Real Madrid Bayern Munich in, the, in an extra time or something. Yo, yeah, I was just thinking, like, can you imagine if Madrid-Barca were in the Champions League final? Like, that's what this is. So, like... That's my nightmare. Like, actually, like, I couldn't imagine anything worse than that. So, like, I was, I was, like, kind of proxy um, upset just thinking about this. <laughs> um, I have a slight, I know this is kind of controversial, but I have a slight preference for Boca. They were sort of my team when I was uh, younger and with my Argentine family. Um, my sister's mom is from Argentina. Uh and they're all Boca fans, but you know, shout out to River for winning um, three to one today uh, in in what was a very, very intense game. <laughs> yeah, 
Shout out to yeah. Fernando Gago, who's only 32 years old. Hell now. yeah. I thought he was Fernando Gago's been 32 for like 10 years, though, so. Yeah, I, isn't the, I guess he did come over with Marcelo the same year. You just he came, yeah, like he came to Real Madrid with Higuain and Marcelo that year in 2007. We had high hopes for that guy. <laughs> Real Madrid have had a history with River Plate, right? Not just Higuain, but Alfredo Di Stefano came from River Plate, and he actually had his peak there, so it's not like he was an unknown quantity. We actually bought like bought him knowing he was the best yeah. player in the world. So it was it was kind of destiny that they'd come and you know win their most important match in history at the Bernabeu. So that that was kind of cool. That is cool for them. So Larry um, also played for River Plate. Oh, what? that's yeah. See, that just increases the connection. See, but like, Gago sure. played for Real Madrid and Boca. Madrid has Boca players too. It's not just oh, uh, he Gago's Boca. Yeah, sorry, uh-huh. my bad. He, uh, he was Higuain River played or Boca? Higuain was River. Yeah, Higuain. Yeah, Saviola. Okay, he was River. Saviola. Saviola played for Barca though. He played for more us than Madrid. Too, don't forget. I know, but only for like what one year? Like just say. <laughs> it's like saying Chicharito <laughs> is like a huge Real Madrid player. All right, everybody. Sorry. Uh, I will never forget that, <laughs> that goal. goal. Yep, yep. Crucial. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about less fun things. Real Madrid beat um, Huesca away 0-1 to um, in what was, I think, manifestly one of the um, least pleasant games I've had to watch outside of maybe the Ibar match. Um, Ibar, like... I don't. I mean, it was terrible, folks. Gareth Bale scored very much towards the beginning of the match, and then Madrid couldn't create anything offensively for the rest of the game. Basically, uh, it was it was not a pleasant match to watch. Well, let me just hit you with some quick stats before we dive in. So, we had five shots the entire game. I'm just going to repeat that: five shots, two shots in the first half, three in the second half, and we only had two shots inside the box. So XG-wise, that brings us to around just under 0.5. And Huesca had had 11 shots, and their XG was around like 1.2, 1.5. Like 11 taken taken 11's model had them like a little higher, something like 1.4. Understat had them at 1.2. Whatever like the number was, like the slight discrepancy, it said that yeah, quite obviously when you take five shots, your XG is going to be horrible, and that's what it was for us. So, yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. I think it's worth diving in more into what happened, but if there's a bottom line that you take away, you can just look at the stat sheet for this one game, and, and you can just understand what happened. The stats um, just, I mean, if you stripped the team names away, the stats in the, and the result it looks like the kind of game that a mid to low t- uh, level team nicks off of a top four team. Like if you know Huddersfield were to to get a uh, get a win against Tottenham, you would expect basically the same uh, mm-hmm. uh, statistical profile. Except for Real Madrid is Huddersfield in this scenario. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's not it, even just the, the shots. Also, I don't. Th- I think Gareth Bale was the only. One of our players who had a shot on target. Bale had Bale had four shots. He was the only player I think who had a shot on target, and the the only player the goal, besides Bale right. who even had a shot was Vasquez. Yeah. Um. So two players and Bale, I think, was the only player with the shot on target, which was the goal. 
It truly, truly embarrassing. Bale had two shots on target, I think, because remember that one shot he had from outside the box, which the keeper saved, that I thought the maybe was going to... From an acute angle, kind of, and it went off his goalkeeper's shoulder. He tried to chip it in. That was the Isco pass after the goalkeeper gave it away, I think. No, so that then that's three. Okay, so we, if there's one minor... I don't even know if you can call it a positive. We had, like, three shots on target. Yeah, there was that, but then Bale also scored, because I'm looking at who scored right now. And yeah, in the 24th minute, he had a shot like from the right wing. One of the few times he drifted over there, right. and that was saved. And then there was the one one on one that was our best chance of the game, that like the keeper saved. And then yeah, I mean, there's not many more chances. Lucas Vasquez had a shot blocked from outside the box, and then Bale Bale had another one from um, on a fast break. Remember when he shot from the left wing? in the 61st minute and that was like the first shot we had in ages and that's it like we've literally described all the chances we had in in about a minute so here's what Solari needs to figure out because this is the same it was essentially in a in a less extreme way the problems we had in Ipuru against Avar where all of a sudden a team that is expected to probably bunker up in a low block although Avar doesn't really necessarily play that way against us but Instead of doing that, which is like everything that Lopetegui couldn't figure out, teams will press a bit higher and they go up in 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 a higher block and come out of their shell. And if you bypass their first line of press, there's a lot of space to exploit. There was space against a bar that we couldn't take advantage of, and in this one, I thought like just the passing wasn't good enough in transition to even muster anything up. I thought Benzema has had a poor game and. His touches just look way off. There were a couple counters in the first half of Real Madrid and he had the ball at his feet. And if he just looks up and makes a good pass, Bale's through on goal, and he just it kind of just fumbles. He just kind of fumbles the ball and, run, and runs into a defender. And B- Bale's passing yeah, wasn't good that. either in this game particularly, but Bale also was just dangerous, making off-ball runs, shooting, and that stuff helped. But it was a second t- second game, away game, under Solari, where we just couldn't really figure out how to get out of that press and um and Uesca and Abar both all credit to them but they punched above their weight so I think that's just something that Solari really needs to figure out at this point because yeah um, it's, it's just and Abar there was no adjustments and in this one we didn't really see adjustments right and it and it's not even that it was just a press in general um from what I saw um and feel free to disagree um but it was virtually the same press that I, I that Abar um, applied against us. So that Cuesco was definitely playing um, with the four four two when they were pressing us, and they obviously because they have like um, they're lacking a man in midfield, they had to like decide where to allocate their resources. So they decided again to like to to use a wing oriented press, which is what Abar used against us. So when the ball went wide, they'd kind of look to trap us on one wing. And then one of the wide players would step out onto our far side center back to protect against the switch, which is pretty much textbook like just copying exactly what Abar did against us. And Abar was a textbook four four two wing oriented press. Mm-hmm. So you would think we would have looked at the A-bar game and come up with solutions. Okay, teams are probably going to look at this and think, okay, this is how we can beat Real Madrid. We need to have a solution for this. 
And maybe we did, but I don't think it was good enough, right? Like, I think in the first half especially, we had some half-decent combinations down the right wing. Lucas Vasquez was sort of coming deep with Modric and Odrizola, and we were trying to work our way up, up, up that way. But it was that was literally it. We didn't have the same thing on the left wing, and it's just... I I I saw someone post this on Twitter. It's what defines Solari's tactical system is rigidity, right? Like it's a very ultra structured four three three. There's li- very little freedom of movement. Players don't kind of move out of their position. So Bale is always on the left wing. The one time he moved to the right was when he had that shot. That same with Vasquez and same with every other player on the right. pitch is they're is they're locked into their zone. So. And- that's not always the worst thing in the world, but when you're trying to well, beat a press, you need fluidity and you need this kind right, of interchanging right. of positions that just doesn't exist when we're trying to battle a press under Solari. And it's why it's so much easier to lock on to us and stop us from progressing the ball. What's interesting to me, Om, is that we don't hear, and this is in the, like, like, hear my hypothesis, um, is that we don't hear Solari spoken of as a defensive coach. But what if you actually, I mean, like the 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 goals against numbers are very good for his Real Madrid. But so, and and one of the things we used to complain about was that Zidane's offensive fluidity led to a uh, n- not a great ability to... Uh, cover defensively the right lanes and and the right zones of the pitch when people were 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 pressing and counterattacking which i think is a fair criticism and i think it it seems to me like um, solari has sacrificed or at least is trying to sacrifice a little bit of that offensive fluidity in search of better structure defensively because this is one of the great you know places where where teams can kind of uh, where t- tactical styles kind of merge, which is that in defense you actually really do need to be very structured and uh, run a defense with with everyone knowing where everyone else is going to be and having their own zones. Whereas in offense, it actually makes it only makes sense to have an offense that that runs structurally uh, like that in circumstances where you know the players don't know each other as well or or where you're trying to break out a defense and play counterattacking football. Otherwise, if you're running a possession style. Uh, playing, playing, playing with the position in any real way offensively, you actually need players to be constantly interchanging and looking for space and not being too worried about where uh, their their possession structure is. And so I wonder if what we're seeing a little bit is Solari um, sacrificing that and um, perhaps tacking too hard in that direction, uh, sacrificing that in 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 search of some better defensive uh, rigidity. And I think the one thing that speaks against that in my mind is that Madrid hasn't actually looked that good on defense, though the stats do sort of bear out the the notion that they've been okay on defense, at least. I mean, I think, well, I think statistically, like, given the opponents we face, especially if you're including the Melilla games, I think that's true. But if you look at the Abar game, the Roma game, and this one, which are some of the more recent performances, um, the expected goals, like, totals are against us. Um, but to your point about like rigidity versus fluidity, so I, I'm, I'm not that concerned about the fluid interchange of positions and stuff when we're in the opposition half because mm-hmm. Solari's, Solari's like quick, you know, movements down the wing and crosses into the box. That's proved to be fairly effective as long as we can do lots of that, right? The, the issue, like maybe maybe it doesn't produce the best quality, but we keep doing it over and over again. And we are attacking qualities enough that we're going to overwhelm opponents. It was kind of like that versus the Valencia game in, in the Valencia game. But 
when you're in your own half and you're trying to evade opposition pressure, it's something you have to yeah. do, especially if it's rigid man-to-man marking. Uh, because then you reduce, if you don't, you've reduced the game to one versus one duels. And not only is that risky, but if you want to argue, as many people are, I, I mean, I saw a couple people like respond to me, it's not Solari's fault, the players are underperforming. Well, as a manager, you have to take that into account, right? So yeah, if, you we do. Want, right. if we really want to stretch and like somehow put all the blame on the players here and say the players just aren't good enough, then, you're, then your strategy should not be to reduce the game to one versus one duels if your players apparently suck. It should be, because the whole, the whole kind of idea of press resistance and just in general outmaneuver the opposition is to constantly have some kind of numerical superiority which you need with this constant right. interchange and even and so with Zidane right I think you could argue maybe it was too excessive that's what I was saying yeah right but it's not like one or the other right so if, if you were to look at like a Pep Guardiola like there's a lot of fluidity in what he does but the structure always remains the same obviously that takes a lot of coaching a lot of understanding um, for his players to be able to do that and still remain stable defensively. But we're not asking anything that complex with Solari, right? Like, we're just asking that the players kind of come deeper, they have these connections, and we're not even playing through the middle either, right? Like, all we right. have are these triangle combinations down the wing, and our players aren't even, like, they aren't even compressing the space, so there's there's a greater ability to complete those passes. Everything's distant, Everything looks kind of disconnected. Players aren't willing to move out of their zones to come receive the ball. And so it's just way easier to track our players and shut them down. And that's what we saw saw in the A-bar game. And that's what we saw versus Huesca today. And I thought we were rather fortunate to come away um, with the victory. Something that I, always like baffles me. like, And this kind of goes back to previous Real Madrid managers. You saw it under Zidane. You saw it under Lopetegui. Now you see it under Solari. Sometimes I, I, I kind of find it bizarre how difficult it seems for us to be able to replicate things that work while continuing things that don't work. Yeah. Because like you, you could it's you really could go point. with really recent examples under Solari. For example, we had this problem against Abar and that disconnect was real and Modric would drop deep, look up, no outlets, and we just couldn't get past that initial press. And then and then against Valencia, you see all this interchangeability. You see Bale and Vasquez switching flanks, which, you know, by the way, to me was not... Bale kind of disappears when he leaves that left zone on, on the wing, but that's kind of a different discussion. And Benzema's moving freely, and, and there's a lot of moving parts. And and Llorente, I think, has solved a lot of issues, by the way, because he kind of gives you that presence, and he's able to drop between the center backs, and he's actually able to distribute at a pretty good level. Yes, yeah. But then... But then you see you had the Avar problem basically recur again. And and by the way, Solari, it's not like if you go back to his Castilla days, he didn't have really a track record for adjustments. He kind of like had this team and that's what that team was for the rest of the yeah. season. He would just watch it unfold. And he didn't really make adjustments. I will say about his defense, I think Ohm's point about, well, okay, these are our goals since he did, but our XG tells a different story. I think it's a valid one. I will say though, what he does have going for him defensively um, is that for, with Castilla, his defensive track record was quite good. And his, his best players generally were all in defensive line. And then this season, while I don't think our defending has been good, we at least have players in position to defend certain things. Um, granted, the, defensive, the transition defense hasn't been great, but at least like Llorente has been there to mop up a lot of shit. And the other thing is that... Um, 
even like when we have numbers, it seems bizarrely bad defending. Like if if you look at us defending crosses today, it was crazy. Who was who was it that missed um, the header? And I had this in my report, and Om also reminded me. Um, it was um, it. God damn it! It was it was Malero. It was Malero. He misses that header yeah. earlier in the first half. Real Madrid have this corner they're defending, and nobody gets to the far post, and yeah. they miss the header there. And then crosses over and over again. They just give us issues, and and then we had the giveaways, like the Asensio giveaways, which I still hasn't made, haven't really made sense of in the second yeah. half. Um, Courtois making a couple really big saves, both in this game and in Valencia. Like it just. Even when we have numbers, it seems like there's just some kind of lack of communication, lack of cohesion. Who's defending the far, far post? Right. There are little things that you just kind of can't really figure out. But well, I, I think a lot of it has to go down to Solari. It's like these are adjustments that need to be made. If this happens again, if Real Madrid go into another away game or home game right. for that matter, and we still are not tr- trying to figure out how to beat, bu- break that initial line of pressing, you, so, it's just a sign of like no adjustments to me. Granted, you didn't have Marcelo totally in this game. Brilliant in the situation. Kroos, Isco came off late and he's press resistant. Like they're, you're missing. But if players. he's not going to play someone like Isco, then you get the sense that he doesn't see this as as big of a problem as it could be. I mean, like Isco actually is one of these people who has a very like Llorente has a lot of Isco in him in that he's one of these people that can get a ball deep and then take you know, this this beautiful turn, and then three steps later, he's broken through, right, and and find someone. But having another person like that on the pitch really would, I think, accentuate that. And, like, Modric is, is good at it, but I think it's not one of his absolute best. Uh, he's not, I mean, he's one of the best in the world at this also, but he's not quite at Isco's level when it comes to breaking this, doing that particular style of line-breaking run. And... Uh, having someone like Isco on the pitch, or at least having him be more of a quiver, uh, in, in or more of an arrow on your quiver than he has been, is is uh, I think dis- dispiriting for me at least when when Madrid is having these issues. Well, I think I think Isco should have started over Lucas as much as I as much as I defend Lucas Vasquez as much as I think I agree with that he's, he's yeah. underappreciated and like. Whenever people look at the first, like, the team sheet, they're always like, oh, fuck, Lucas is on the team. This just shows how far we've fallen despite his numbers being consistently good, despite his impact being consistently good. He's an elite-level player. Like, he really right. is. Yeah, he's not, he's not elite, right? Like, he's 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 good. He's very good, and I, I stand by that. I believe he has a place in the squad, but he's not elite, and... In games like this, it's it's just not games for him, right? I, he he did okay because, as I mentioned, most of our press-resistant actions, if you can call it that, were happening down our right flank, and Vasquez was actually coming deeper than Bale to try to help. But Isco is just far better at that. Not only is Isco elite on his best day, but him coming deep to connect with players and dribble past, you know, opposition lines and create these roaming overloads. That's his game. That's what he likes to do. And so I I agree with you, Gabe, that the fact that Solari didn't put Isco on to start means he probably didn't think it was a problem. Maybe maybe when him subbing him on was maybe a recognition of, of it being a problem, or maybe he was just trying to change. And then I I just wanted to quickly address um, points Keon made. So as to like us 
you know, doing something well and then not doing something well. So I, I think the thing is with Solari is I think when we build out from the back, and I, I think this has been consistent since he's come in to become coach of the first team, is it's a lot more rigid. And so that's kind of the area he likes to control. But when we get into the final third, that's when things free up. He doesn't mind if, you know, our central midfielders are swapping with each other, if Bale decides to move up front and Benzema comes wide. And that's something I've consistently noticed throughout the game. And in the Valencia game, we weren't really pressed. So we saw a lot more of that because we enjoyed more time in Valencia's half and near the middle third. But when we're building out from our own third, I consistently noticed that Solari doesn't really like this kind of fluidity. He he, he yeah. That's the phase of the game, which he likes to control. And I don't mind the coach having a hand in there. I just think the way he's... He's he's designing the tactics in that phase of the game doesn't necessarily make sense. Um, and there was some some other thing I wanted to address that Keon said, but I forgot. Um, so I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll try to remember that. Think, but anything else? Anything else? Um, there? I, I wanted to flip to some of the positives from this game. I think there are a couple people and a couple individual performances that deserve shouting out. Um, in particular, Thibaut Courtois, um, game saving saves on numerous occasions. He I felt like this was maybe the most impressive and most important performance he's done yet just because of um it, you know defending that lead against a team where with the team that just was was really dropping the ball and very clearly doing it. I think this is one of the first games I think it's very clear that he uh absent him like Madrid I think would have really screwed up been been screwed over and really lost. So just shout out to him. Um, I don't know if you guys disagree with that, but no, of course uh, not. I, I think a huge moment for him was like just going back to the Valencia game, which really, really for me changed a lot in terms of like his confidence level, where he yeah, came up right. huge against Valencia, and it really, like, we have this thing collectively in the fan base where we feel so sad for Kaylor, and I think a lot of that just trickled over to maybe unfair hate on Courtois. Not hate, hate is is. A, isn't the right word. But I think I think that's fair. Honestly, I've seen a lot of like hate. Yeah, yeah. but and but. so I mean, it's that's not necessarily Courtois' fault that he's here now and he's playing, right? I mean, it's not his fault. And and so I think our love for Kaylor, and I and by our love, I don't mean like I'm not really individually singling us out. But I'm just saying collectively as a fan base, a lot of that sadness for Kaylor trickled over to possibly some you know some ill feelings towards Courtois and what he represented and blah blah blah. The last few games, he's been great. And in Valencia, those two saves he made, I felt like was the first time where the fan base like really supported him. Because I was in that stadium, and the roar, the ovation, he literally people were out of their seat clapping for that save. Um, yeah. Because it, I, they were just like, wow, this guy's really good. And you know what? He deserves some love. Like He probably hasn't gotten much love this season. So I think that was a big moment for him. Um. I would also, I think, another very high-level performance, another one in a row for Marcos Llorente, I thought, who was really fantastic once again. Um, I absolutely crucial cog in this machine, and I think one of the people that I've, that uh, you know, one of our favorite pundits who is friend of the show, no, I'm just kidding, someone we fucked around with a little bit, but, like, friend of the show, Dermot Corrigan, I, or I think it was him, um, pointed out that it's probably true that... Um, Given Marcos's performances, I think that it'll it's more of a question than 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 an open and shut case whether Casemiro waltzes back into a everyday um, role with this team uh, going forward. Yeah, uh, I mean, 
I don't I, think sorry, Cas- I well, I just don't think Casemiro's place is in jeopardy in terms of like the you know, quote unquote in a big game once the gala type scenario. However, I think it changes a lot about what our plan B is if Casemiro yeah. is not there. B, yeah. And and Llorente has won his place in that sense that and we said this like all I've been saying this all year. Just he needs to just in the very, very limited opportunity yeah. he's gonna get this season, he just needs to, to play his way in. He had those amazing ten minutes against was it Espanol? I forget yeah. who it was against. And then we didn't see him and then and then Rome and then and then now four <laughs> games later. I think what changes now is that there's gonna be less less um I guess desperation yeah. to play Kroos or Ceballos back there. And and also, I mean, there's gonna be an ability to rotate Casemiro, and that's a something that Madrid actually, you know, in these these games, like, yeah, sure, you can go with the lineup that's more attacking or whatever. But like, frankly, rotating Casemiro would have been a very useful thing to have last year, and Zidane just didn't really, uh, didn't really see this. And you know, that, I think that is actually something we really should give um, Solari credit for is is kind of expanding the universe of players uh, that he's willing to to play in this position. And uh, anyways, but I, I, I thought he was great today. I still think that it should be more of a question. I think that, you know, it's also not an insane thing to me to think that they could play in a double pivot. I know that that's not how <laughs> either of them work best, but... I, I don't think it's a crazy thing. I in fact I think we'll probably see it with Solari. Um but I, I I also think that Marcos has not made it like an easy decision given how well he's he's basically been the man of the match over and over again every time he's played since he became a starter. So so I, I agree that um with what Keon's take on where Urente's place is gonna be, I, I, I don't think it's going to. It's enough to dislodge Casemiro and what he's done contributing to the three Champions League victories. Um, I, I'm not so sure. Like I, I thought, Llorente played great. I thought he was one of our better performers, but it wasn't like at the same level of like the last two games. I think mean, it was just natural because of the type of game we played with the whole team down. The tactics not really there, but there was there was a couple of crucial interventions here and there where I thought for sure. Huesca was in and he made those interceptions, but it was more of the type of thing that if Casimir was there, it was like more expected. Whereas the other two games, I felt like he really stepped up and did something a little above, you know, what, what, what is considered for the normal defensive midfielder. So, um, I, I mean, I, I, I just, I guess like just didn't see Llorente's performance the same way who I thought really stood out besides Courtois was, I thought Odriozola was pretty good in the first half. And because he, first of all, he was the only player who created two chances. Um, Ramos created one, um, Llorente had one, and Isco had one. And Odriozola obviously had the assist. And I thought, compared to the A-bar game, his press assistance had improved a lot. His touch didn't look suspect. But other than him, Bale was like clearly our best offensive player. Four shots, a goal. His other shots were all on target. Um, but... Not if if we were comparing this to like Bale's greatest games, like this isn't up there. But considering how the rest of the team played, I thought Bale was um, by far our best player. He was, I thought, very high end today. Yeah. 
Uh, Aldridge, the Aldridge Lewis shout out is a good one. I think there with that cross, I mentioned this on Twitter. You know, he took so long to kind of calculate where he's going to hit that cross. And then on screen, it looks like he's overhit it. And I was like, okay, well that was not a great outcome after thinking about it so much. And then, and then Bale runs on screen and hits it far post. So it ended up being perfect. I thought he provided those overloads quite well. And he was quite dangerous, especially in the first half. The Llorente point, I think just to go back to him, and I, you know, at some point people are just maybe going to think I'm just crazy praising him so much. But <laughs> it, it just we don't a, think you're crazy, man. We love him too. Come on, he's our he's our large, beautiful adult son. Yeah, he is. He he, but he's always you there. Referred to him as managing Madrid's son. I think that's a totally fair thing. We've been standing this guy for years now. He's really good. Yeah, it. It's funny because I wrote this three thousand word article on, it and I it was one of my. I felt like it was one of my better pieces of work. Did uh, you get to interview him and talk to him? Not directly, no. But. Um, Soon like, it'll happen. It'll it would have. It's only a matter of time. But I, I I I was like, this is one of the best things I've ever written. And then I, agree. I, I there was like a comment. It was the first comment, and it was something like, just if, just kind of like this little sarcastic comment saying like, oh, has has Yorente cured cancer or something that we, mm-hmm. we, we yeah, we I saw that. Oh, I saw that. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I I just he's mentally to 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 kind of be where he is now to not basically play for two years straight and then go into a Champions League away match in Rome and look that unnerved and the the way he can kind of shift his way out of tight positions and be press resistant in his passing and I think we all know like what he does and that's he's he's just there he's always there he's always there on a counter-attack he's always there that Asensio mistake I mentioned in the second half that was Llorente who won the ball back in the end um, and I think what I hope and I think will happen is I think his passing his passing accuracy in terms of percentage-wise is always high. But that doesn't mean he's necessarily making the best pass. But what I hope will improve, and I think it will because he's kind of behind on that right now, is his vertical passing. In the last two games against Melia, which we really don't count any stats from any player because it was, it was Melia and they, they were just so bad. We'll we'll deal with that in like ten like five minutes. So. Okay, but he, he both in that game and in this game, he did try to hold the ball looking for vertical outlets, and if he found it, he would play the ball, and if not, then um, he would he would he would then go backwards, which I thought was a good sign. He looked less uh, because usually he just it's the first outlet he finds. He's he's just gonna play it the way he's facing. I thought he, in the last couple of games he's trying to find different options and um and again was was it not i think i don't know if he won the ball but for sure it was his pass to Odria zola kind of the hockey assist to the first oh game. yeah yeah it was a pass to him where he broke out of a, a two defender press um and found it was running on the right that that was the play yeah uh, it was real good um so i uh, i feel like that is Essentially, all I have to say about the Wesca game, I mean, there were a number of other players who came on. It's good to see Fede Valverde keep, you know, getting significant minutes. Um, I would have brought Isco on earlier. These are sort of my my notes that I have. That's basically basically end of list for me. Um, unless you guys have anything else you, you want to chat, I think we should just quickly deal with the Melilla game before we talk about uh, do questions. I just had one thing to say. Like, I remember what I was going to say. I can't remember what it was in response to what Keon said, <laughs> but I know 
I know I wanted to say this one thing, and it's that this is this is less a value judgment and more a stylistic observation that I, I've kind of mentioned before. And it's just under Solari, I think we're losing our ability to control games, like partly because of the stuff I mentioned, because of the way he structures, like everything's kind of rigid and disconnected, but also because he wants a faster style of play. Everything's much higher tempo and he wants everything moving through the flanks. It's in games where we're, we're being pressed like this and the opposition wants to type, wants to take the tempo up. I just kind of feel like we go with it. We flow with the game state rather than imposing our will on the game, which was something, you know, for whatever the flaws were of the Lopetegui era, that was his stylistic marker, right? That, I think aside from the Sevilla game, whatever bad happened, we were always kind of in control of the ball. We were the ones determining how the game was was going to play out. Even in, even in El Clasico and the second half, we had this half an hour period where we were the ones deciding how the game was being played. We put Barcelona on the back foot. Under Solari, it's more he just kind of accepts what the opposition gives us. So if the opposition lets us come into the half in, into their half, great. We flood forward. Lots of good movement down the wing, crosses, our player attackers get involved. If they decide to press us and, and they want a little bit more possession, Solari just kind of accepts that. And, you know, I think you can point to situations where it's been good, situations where it's been bad. But like I said, it's less a value judgment. It's it's a stylistic one. And I think it's just worth noticing because I think that informs the way um, you understand Solari's tactics going forward, and I think it just kind of helps to like center your analysis to kind of understand what it is that Solari is trying to do. Makes sense to me. Um, the, Kigana, um, yeah, just quickly before we go to questions, the we're going to Melia first, <laughs> right? Um, before we even get to that, um, I the Lucas Vasquez point is interesting to me because. On one hand, he, this is a player that's been used countless amount of times under many coaches. And despite what a lot of people think, he's clearly not a shitty player. Like, this is like Zidane now, Lopetegui, and Solari have all used him for, like, heavy minutes. And um, and they all... They all and like Benitez him. as well. Benitez is the other one. And um, and he, he's been consistently just really, really good and steady and, and solid for us. I, I it is interesting to me that he is taking up a spot that I think other players would be more useful in definitely in a lot of situations. And I think in this game, because we were talking about Isco, whether he should start or not, and to me, if if the concern is balance and defensive work rate, I really feel like that's one of Isco's more underrated traits. Um you could you could argue he's he hasn't been in shape. Um that Instagram post is old, by the way. It wasn't a new post that he posted. Uh, but but I think that he's kind of past that now. I think against Melia, he, he looked actually fit. So maybe that, that concern is gone. And maybe Solari is going to play him back into the team now. I don't know. But I mean, I think, I think that's just... Defensive, like if he's in shape, he was, he is like one of our more underrated defensive players, I think. Like his work rate is through the roof. And... He'll help you anywhere on the pitch. You ask him to, and I think there may. I'm. I. By the way, I do. I just. Just kind of. I'm just being connected and speaking to a few journalists um, around there. Those issues with Isco were really just character issues. They weren't tactical issues. So, okay. and and Isco had just kind of like wasn't 
wasn't the greatest. Um, it just didn't really have the greatest attitude throughout this whole Solari thing, which is why it was benched. But I will say that I think if if there's a question of like, can he do what Lucas does defensively? I think the answer is yes, in a different capacity. But I think he's a good presser. I think he can track back if he's if he's I, fit. I so I don't have a problem with, with that. If if that if like Vasquez is like there for balance reasons or whatever. So I but see I I don't think. I don't think Solari is doing it for defensive reasons. I think he's doing it because that's what he wants in possession. The only time he tried to move away, um, like after he turned Bill and, and Vasquez on the wings, the one time he turned away from it was when he put Asensio on the left and Bale on the right. Mm-hmm. And that lasted for a game and he went immediately back to Bale and Vasquez because I just... Vasquez doesn't move out of that zone when he stays as a right winger. He he sticks to the byline and he runs up and down the field and, and he... he He's very much like a, he fits in very well with the fast passing game that aims at working the ball down the flank and whipping the ball into the box. That's his game. And I think Solari just likes that kind of style and possession. And we'll have to see. We'll have to see whether that's confirmed, right? With 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 now you confirming that the Isco issue was a character issue and not a tactical one. But I I in my opinion, I think that's just how Solari likes to play, and he's he's yeah. he's playing Lucas there because it fits in with how he sees um, possession play should be in his team. Interesting, both like hearing both sides of this. I I tend to fall more on Keon's side, not just not because I disagree what you're saying, Om. I just I think that um, Isco has shown in the past that he actually does have these defensive chops. But I will I will say that it is definitely certain that. Isco does have more of a tendency to drift and get out of position than Vasquez does. And I think that is probably in my view, in addition to the dressing room stuff, why, what's going on here. Yeah. That's Um, a valid point. And Solari's system of just being, having players in certain positions and having them play those very defined roles totally makes sense. Uh, But I think if you kind of separate Solari's vision and just kind of, just ask the question: Does can we get away without Vasquez? Well, yeah, I I agree with you. I agree. I think Isco. That's the question be, I'm asking, essentially. Sorry, right. Is like, like I'm we, not. I'm not. De- yeah. I'm not defending Solari. I'm just trying to like pick apart his thought process and try to understand why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So Madrid won six to one against Melilla and the Copa del Rey, going through ten to one on aggregate. There's not, frankly, there just isn't anything to talk about in this game. Um, Madrid ran rough shot over Melilla, who essentially didn't defend, uh, and they were playing in the Bernabeu, so not defending against a Madrid team, even one that like was starting a lot of its B players. Um, is gonna and, and poorly as it did. Asensio getting two, Vinicius getting a goal and assist, uh, Isco getting two, um, uh, uh, and Garcia getting one. I don't have much to say about this match, frankly, guys. It's cool to see Vinicius score. I thought he looked good on that assist to Isco. I think he had a or to Asensio. I think he had a mixed bag game overall. Um, our, our other players that played in this match that I that I was very interested in. I mean, it was cool to see Asensio score and and hit his balls very much on target. Um, that is, he's been looked a little bit, you know, on and off recently, and and it was nice to see remind be reminded of what he can do when he's playing uh, at a high level or against opponents that aren't um, very intent on stopping him. <laughs> 
Um, I don't have much else to say, frankly. That's that's basically end of list. Yeah. Um, let me think. So, I, again, like I have I have an absurd amount of notes on this game, but that's just because that's me every game, and also, but so I'm just trying to like pick apart what actually matters in this game. Um, what does matter is that Llorente was incredible throughout the entire first <laughs> half, and then he came off at halftime. Just bread and butter stuff from him, um, winning the ball, starting counters. Um, Sorry, it was not Garcia. Javi Sanchez. Yeah, Javi Sanchez scored the the goal. He was unmarked Asensio assist. Um, But I think that leads me to say that I was really happy for Javi Sanchez again. I thought Vallejo had a strong defensive game, not that he had much to do. Um, And then I think Javi Sanchez was was pretty good all game except for giving away the penalty. And then I would say Fran Garcia... It was a nice cameo from him because he's he's really quick. Yeah, um, wins the by, ball high up the pitch. Good crosser has been good with Castilla um, all season. In the absence of Regulon, who's who's graduated, obviously needs to work on his passing. But I, I like the fact that they you know these guys just got minutes. Vinicius is like it was almost like when when. Because I was there at this game too. When when he scored his goal finally, there was like almost like this like sarcastic applause, like "Oh my God, finally!" Because he had so many chances, um, mm-hmm. like three really good good chances and good positions to score. I he still has that like such a raw like aura about him that he just loves provoking opposing players, but can't really successfully do it all the time. So it kind of looks silly when he can't pull off a trick. Um, that just needs to polish that a little bit, but he's obviously a ton of fun, and I think he's he's going to be really good. Um, anything else? Even I think even this many notes is probably too many notes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. <laughs> it was nice to see his uh, Bayejo come back. I mean, he I love him. So that's that's all. That's all I have to say. Yeah. My, oh, um, oh, we should mention just like I really hope Mariano gets recovers from his injury because just is yeah. really bad luck from him to to leave that one injured and then you just just like as he had gotten back and hopefully was trying to play his way into the team he had a bit of an unlucky heavy touch all game and then he gets injured so just yeah. wishing him a speedy recovery all right well i'm happy to jump to questions um so as uh, everyone knows our uh if you toss us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Managing Madrid, um, if you toss us $5 a month, it's not that much money, you get access to all of our patron content, um, and we guarantee that we'll answer your question on every show that we do. So if you have a lot of questions, you will have a lot of opportunity to have them answered. We do a midweek show and numerous other shows during the week, um, and you'll be you'll be very much able to get your question answered so um we'll answer our questions if you doss us three dollars a month you can uh you'll get your um you'll get access to our patron content but you won't um you know guaranteed an answer we will sometimes uh and uh, if you toss us ten dollars and up you'll get a lot of other things like access to our giveaways for example Keon, um you gave someone in madrid ticket vip tickets to um real madrid's match um, that is, that is pretty cool. And so that, that's what our $10, uh, and plus, uh, patrons get. Um, so our first guaranteed patron question, um, uh, is from Tyler Dixon, who says, I swear teams play their best against us and play horribly versus Barcelona. 
we need an injection of attacking talent. I think this is a fair um, point, guys, and, and I think one we see a lot, which is this kind of belief that Madrid needs to get a big, you know, one injection of, let's say, a Neymar or a very high-end attacker. Do you feel like this is... Um, this is true. I mean, Madrid does have a very deep bench of young players, all of whom are vying for this position. It's it's one of those things that we joke about, but it's um, it's really not an excuse to like. I, I we can't use that as an excuse like, oh, teams play better against as they do against Barca. Whether that's true or not, which I think is true in some cases. However, we have to really give credit to Barca for just coming prepared week in week out. And just grinding it out and getting it done and imposing their game on the opponents, which we haven't been able to do. And whether we sign Neymar or not, uh, which may I remind you, we had Cristiano Ronaldo last season when we finished 17 points behind. So there's clearly like a deeper deeper issue. Zidane had said it in press conference, post-game pressers, like we know we have to start better, we have to play better, but doing it is easier said than done. So I don't know if there was a motivational issue or just... This season, we've seen a lot of tactical issues. It's it's not really rocket science to be able to bypass a Huesca or Abar press. I'm sorry, like it's just not like you can say they played better against us than they did against Barca. But um, I will say an attacking in- injection is always welcome, and a goal scorer is always welcome. But I also don't think that it solves everything necessarily because the disconnect that we mentioned has been recurring all season. Um, would Neymar be amazing? I think so at this point. And because we know Neymar is like an am- amazing ball carrier, he can play deeper if needed. He has been playing in deeper positions this season under Tuchel and um, he can score goals. So there's no question See. that helps. But I would say that like we, we also have like some just deeper issues of consistency. That one season, 16-17, which we all rave about, we had a very hungry, deep, young bench who like really helped us grind out, grind out a lot of results, which we don't, we don't really have in that same capacity this season. So, uh, so the thing, I, I agree with, with everything you said, Keon, and I would, we've been talking about a long time how we think we need a new striker, um, like, a, a, like a high quality, like what Lewandowski was last season, like possibly 25, 30 goals in the league, 40 goals a season, but... See, the thing is, we spent so much time in the offseason talking about how we're going to play as a collective now, and it's not going to be about one player. And what that means is is that, firstly, the players we have are, are good enough, despite all the form issues and stuff. Like when, you, when, when, when we say play as a collective, that means a coach is going to come in and with his tactics, elevate the group of players we have and make the, the sum of the parts... Make, make the hole big, bigger than the sum of their parts. That's what a coach comes in and does tactically. And if that is not being done, which was clearly objective, it wasn't just the fans saying it. You know, Florentino was saying it. The players were saying it, right? We don't need Ronaldo. This is, this is what we're going to do. Maybe we do need another attacking player coming in, but we're not even seeing... You know, we're not even seeing like our base potential being being reached, which is that as a collective, we play better than we have before, rather than relying on individuals to do the work for us up front. And we haven't even seen that yet. And before we even talk about going and signing someone else, I think we should aim to achieve that because as a collective, we honestly look we, we honestly look worse than before. And 
when we say that all of the players are looking bad and, you know, not a single player seems to be performing well, to me, that's symptomatic of a larger problem. It's symptomatic of, you know, we're just not getting the best out of the players that we have on the field. And maybe you can argue if we want to compete for the Champions League, we need more players. But to beat the the, the team that, that's last in La Liga and has only one win, we have some serious issues if forget signing players, but we need people who are injured like Marcelo to beat that team. Like, I, I don't know how far we've fallen then, right? Like, we should be able to beat these teams because the players we have are good enough and the coach should be able to elevate those players just that little bit more so we can secure victories. And that's what we need to be focusing on right now before we even talk about, oh, we need to go in and get other players. Because if we can't even do that, like you said, Keon, bringing in someone else is only going to help us so much. That, that That's the point that, like, is can get missed so easily. When, when you kind of read the tweets and the mentions and stuff, it's can any can any can we really complain about our, our players? Like, I understand we lost Ronaldo. I understand he's the greatest player of all time in the club history, maybe of all time. But but can we really say that our team is not enough to to be first in La Liga right now? I'm not sure. Can you name me a team in La Liga where Asensio and Isco are on the bench? Like it, it's it's absurd how much talent is still in the team. I agree with that. We don't need. We could. We could literally lose half of our starters in this game against Huesca, and still have way more talent than they do to win the game. Like the, the, the issue is, I, I'm not saying don't sign a player. Like by all means, I can't wait for that player to come. But I'm. But like, there's clearly issues that can be solved with the players we have. Depends a little bit on the player that comes, obviously. Um, but I agree. I agree with that, Ken. I just think that if if the it's on the table to sign a very, very high-end player, I do think there is space in this lineup, if if nothing because Lucas Vazquez was starting the game against Wesco, right? And, like, I think that we can agree that – I would imagine we could agree that if we, instead of a lineup where Madrid had that, rolled out Lucas Vazquez across from Bale um, and Benzema, then if they put out – like a Neymar or like whoever Mbappe or someone, it would be, um, I think Madrid would have a very different game. Uh, but that's not to say that Madrid can't fix some of those problems. Just that there, there are spots in this lineup where I think you can understand where that would slot in. Um, all right. Eric Rogers asked us, uh, hope all is well. Um, so I thought we looked very underwhelming today against Wesca and um, let uh, Wesca, who isn't very good, dictate most of the second half when we could have put the game to bed. Plus, am I the only one who notices that Solari is probably the least active sideline manager? He almost never seems to be uh, making adjustments or communicating with the team during the run of play. Can you guys think of anyone less involved with his players during a game? Um just man, Vicente del Bosque is literally just sits the entire game with an angry look on his face and doesn't say anything to anyone. So yeah. <laughs> that actually is like well, he's, the, he's the first person that came to my mind. Actually. Yeah, <laughs> like that is. <laughs> I think so. That doesn't necessarily bother me that much because like managers have different personalities. What bothers me is like when there's an obvious problem and you have a halftime break. Are you going to make the adjustments? And I think that's where you're kind of you're kind of spot on, Eric, because we mentioned this in previous previous pods. Keon was the one who said 
he even said it in this part earlier on that this is like just who Solari is with Castilla. He would put players out there and he wouldn't change. Um, I He's done it a bit more this season, right? Like not necessarily in the middle of games, but, you know, realizing that Sabias is a bad is, is a bad option at defensive midfield, and that's why Llorente needs to come in. But, yeah, in games, I just don't think it's in Solari's... Um, it's, it, I don't think it's what he does at the moment. Like, he rolls out his game plan, and if it's going bad, he sticks with it. If it's going well, he sticks with it. He's just a type, he's just the type of guy that sticks to his guns. Very different from Zidane, um, who, who certainly had his ideas, had people he would play in midfield, right? Like, he would choose Lucas Vasquez after Hamas consistently, but he was never afraid to make changes. And, um, Whatever you say about Zidane, I think that was one of his best qualities. He was very reactive to what he was seeing in front of him, and he used his power as manager to his full capacity. But that's just not who Solari is. Uh, maybe that will change, but I think that's what we're going to see for the next next few games. Yeah, I mean, mind you, I don't, I don't think I noticed anything out of the ordinary that he's like overly quiet on the bench. Like I think he he gets up, he walks around, he talks, he looks. He analyzes to an extent, but again, I think we're not really probably talking about verbal communication. We're talking about adjustments, which I think is just a valid point. Um, Ohm said something that I was going to say something about. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right, man. You're jet lagged. Oh, man. Uh, let's jump on to our next one. Um, Sajid Rayaz asks us, how do we follow a sublime six-star performance against Melilla with a horrendous, quote, gong show, as Kian put it, within three days? I'm absolutely convinced after today's that it has got nothing to do with personnel. I mean, seriously, why is Solari prolonging this Isco nonsense after a man-of-the-match performance with two goals and six, six key passes? I've said it before, and I'll say it again. He's our primary creator in the final third, apart from Marcelo. You can't count Cruz or Modric to this category as they play a deeper role. Well, the fact that we simply cannot produce beautiful flowing football with Bale and Vazquez up front uh, with only a uh, declining striker and Benzema to bruise some guile, it doesn't make take a rocket scientist to figure out how well Isco and Asensio combine together. If this is going to be a meritocracy, drop those who are actually in bad form, uh, namely Bale and Benzema. So... Um lot going on here i think i think the isco part like we all kind of said that he should have started this game we all gave our reasons why so i don't really think we need to go into that um we we talked about benching bail um a couple of podcasts ago just to kind of give him a kick but it's weird to talk about it in this game because well i think I think Bale's been, he was our best player, like, as I said, so I don't think at this moment benching Bale would be a good idea. But, yeah, I think, I think Isco, especially in, t- in games like this, deserves a chance. Um, not necessarily because he played well against Malia. I don't think that means anything. Um, I think he should have played because we know his quality and because if we're going to, especially if we're going to rely on one versus one duels to get out of a press, um, Isco, Isco's the guy, and he's just naturally going to improve the collective when he's on the field. So, um, yeah, in a sense, then I, I agree with what Sajid's saying. Yeah, I don't, I don't have much, much to add. I think you know the two goals, six key passes against Melia, great. 
um, just it it was just you know it's not that's not what we measure Isco by necessarily or or anyone I don't think um, and it's just it's what we measure Isco by is what we've known him to do over the years which is that he can be a great player and certainly like in terms of just being press resistant like him and Kroos and Marcel that entire left flank that over the years those three have combined to some amazing passing sequences to get us out of presses over the years um, and we we didn't have any of those three today which I think hurt us I will say like just one one quick comment I still think I will stand by this Kroos and Marcelo are our two best creators I think um, and I, I don't think you can say you can't count Kroos or Modric because they play deeper because Marcelo obviously plays deeper too um, but some, you know sometimes it's just not having Kroos around you kind of also realize what you're missing when he's not there too um, but again you know there are there are, I think, cases to be made for a lot of players to play or not to play, and 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 Isco will probably come in and out of the team as will other players. And I, I, my hunch is that he'll work his way back into the the team slowly. But I think those problems still exist that we talked about two weeks ago. Now I think Oma and I recorded the podcast when we talked mm-hmm. about Isco's role and what it looks like under Solari. And um, and, and listen, if if. I, I mean, I don't think it, there's much doubting that there is an issue, right? And let if Solari is like right that like Isco is being indignant, he has a bad attitude, then he has every right to bench him, right? Like you can't have players, no matter how good you are, disrespecting you in in a, in whatever way or not buying into what you do, right? You're the coach, and you deserve that amount of respect. So I think in that sense Solari's like he has to do what he has to do to show he's boss because he he literally is the boss um but I hope that gets resolved because like if that continues to affect our decisions I can imagine a lot more teams who normally think they're not going to get a result against Real Madrid look at two games now where the same type of press is applied one team beat us 3-0 and another team felt unlucky not to have beaten us I can imagine them coming at us with a similar game plan and we're going to need Isco for those games. So I hope, you know, whatever it is, if they haven't sorted it out already, it gets sorted out. So Solari can start picking him again and doesn't have to choose between like conceding power to a player and, you know, worse performance on the pitch. Yeah. And, um, and by the way, just kind of talking about Solari. <laughs> One thing we think we have to give him credit for is the fact that, he actually went from literally starting Ceballos and playing him as a defensive midfield, midfielder for half a game and then in Vigo and then, the, and then the next game against Abar to starting Marcos Llorente in Rome and sticking with him in the last four games. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. And I really think, and David Garrido and I talked about this in the post game because um, what reminded me of this is almost when you were talking about, you know, Isco and whether he was benched because of personal reasons and I think whatever that was it's it's probably buried now because after the Valencia game Solari was was praising Isco and Carvajal was praising Isco in the post game and I think whatever happened is been the past now but yeah. one thing that Solari continually said after the game with his post game quotes was everything that was asked of him he reflected it back to the youth and he li- kept listing off the young players that he's going to use. And he kept saying, Ceballos, Llorente, Vinicius, 
Fede Valverde, Odriozola, um, and a couple others. And to me, I think that's that might be his his legacy to him, saying like, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. This is Real Madrid. This is one of the hardest jobs in, in football. I'm going to be the guy who gave Llorente a chance. I'm going to be the guy who gave who broke Fede Valverde into a team, and 10 years from now, he's going to be a Real Madrid legend. I think this is what his thing is now. I think this is what he wants his legacy to be um, because he doesn't know how long he's going to be here, and this is what he wants to do. So I wonder... I, I'm very curious. I'm very curious to know where Isco ends up as a role. I understand he's versatile. He can play different roles. If Solari wants to kind of put other players in midfield, like Fede Valverde, like Kroos, Modric, Ceballos, then and Isco wants to, he wants Isco to fight for the front three positions. I'm just curious to know how this is all going to end up. Because Isco's always had this awkwardness to his positioning for years now. And that sucks for him, I, yeah. but it's just like I'm, he's always been this positionally lost player. Like, it's been I'm just gonna, him. I'm just gonna put it out there right now. In the context of this Real Madrid team, the left wing is Isco's best position. I, I very strongly believe that. I do believe that. Let's say everyone's kind of playing at their best. We have good tactics or whatever. My strongest team has Isco on the left, Benzema up front, Bale on the right, um, Kroos, Modric, Casemiro, Marcelo, Ramos, Ferran, Carvajal, and Navas or Courtois. Yeah. To me, that is my strongest team that we have, and that is where Isco should be playing. Like I, I, I wouldn't mind at times swapping him into midfield as is needed, but I think in my mind, the way I see Isco's skill set, the way... I've seen him like thrive at Malaga playing on the left the way I've seen him thrive under Ancelotti playing on the left. He should be he's he, he should be fighting with Lucas Vazquez and Asensio for a spot on the team, not with Modric, Kroos, Ceballos, Valverde. That and that's that's completely fine. And I, I'm probably with you on that one. Um, but you know, like a lot of players, I'd say at least two other players, their best positions on the left wing too. And that is Bale and Benzema, which is fine. That's just an argument for more interchangeability and fluidity in attack. But um, I just, I just don't think it's that. You know, if we're talking about Solari's point of view, I don't know if it's that clear cut for him. I, I just, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I agree with you. I, I just, don't, I just don't. For me, for us, it's easy to say that. I just think like it's positionally under various coaches, he seems to have been kind of a misfit. I am going to go ahead and move on. We have a number of questions about the Melilla game. We still have, we've been on for a while now. I'm just going to read through some of these because these aren't, some of these are comments less than questions. So I'm just going to go and three, read them. Um, Vinod Barachula says, um, Asensio seems to be back. Um, Ian Marley says, uh, I knew Vinicius was raw, but from what I saw today, alone to the La Liga team that could give him minutes is even more important. Not to berate him, um, but he feels like the prod or underrate him. I don't really know what he's trying to say here, but he feels like um, not to slight him, but he feels like a prodigy you'd have in FIFA career mode. You know, he could be really good, but his initial stats uh, from his initial stats and scouting reports. But if you were to play him immediately, you might pull your hair out. He showed glimpses of his passing and shooting. Um, uh, sorry, he showed glimpses, but his passing and shooting really needs some work. Um, oh, Llorente makes uh, interceptions look so easy sometimes. Um, 
I don't disagree with either of those, um, any of this. Um, Daniel Smith says, um, and this is an important one, just want to take a quick break to say, he says, um, I have Champions League tickets for Siska uh, Moscow on December 12th in the Bernabeu. If anyone wants to go, those would be $100 each. If interested, they're going for over $200 to $300 per ticket for those. Sorry for posting on this forum. Let me know. So anyone who is a patron who, or even if you're not, please reach out to Daniel. If you happen to be in Madrid, you're looking for tickets, want to go see Madrid playing the Champions League. It's a pretty dope thing to do. He will um, sell you his tickets um, for half, half the list price, which is amazing. Um, Daniel Daniel rules guy king yes yeah, absolute king our favorite um and these tickets really are extremely dope too by the way if you want to know where exactly they are we've we've had patrons go to these games before they are some of the best seats in the house so really 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 high-end ticket um that you're going to get for half off so just reach out to Daniel um Joao Joao dos Santos asked us um, just saw Hamas's Instagram post con- uh, congratulating Luka Modric on the Ballon d'Or. They were both in full Real Madrid kit. Could this hint at Hamas being close to return? I wanted to bring this up because we didn't even discuss it. Luka Modric wins the Ballon d'Or, folks. Right. Congrats. How did we not discuss this? Damn. No, I'm really happy. Really happy too. for him. Me too, man. Especially because, and honestly, I find it irrelevant whether I think he won or not, because I think I think if you don't if you haven't gotten that these like that these awards aren't like you know the aren't that I can't I can't really think of the word, but we all know they don't really determine who's the best in the world, and like they're very subjective, and people vote their own way. So I don't think there's any point getting worked up about it. So I don't think it matters like whether I think he like deserves it or not, right? Like I'm just happy for him, especially because a lot of the reaction to him winning it was very, very negative because well, he pissed he pissed off. He pissed off the incredible goal. triumvirate uh, right. quadumvirate of fans, which is the very much player-specific people who right. who really are only Messi fans, who are only Ronaldo fans. Uh, I don't know about the Griezmann, but I think that was a – I think low-key was actually a big thing in France that Griezmann didn't, like, didn't win – and the fact that, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. But, like, uh, Messi and the Messi and Ronaldo fan by Emverett, like, were infuriated by this win. And that fucking pisses me off so much. It really, I, it just, if especially if you're a, a, a Ronaldo fan who claims also to be a Real Madrid fan, why the fuck yeah. are you so mad that one of our players won? Like, whatever, man, just be happy that Luka Modric has finally been recognized on the world stage. Like, since, like, what, 2015, 2016, these awards have been kind of nonsense anyway. Like, we've seen, like, journalists and players vote for random people. It's kind of always been that way. Like, if you claim to be a Real Madrid fan, you can't be mad. I'm not saying you you can't have your opinion, right? Like, I, I personally don't think Modric deserved to win, but I'm not losing my absolute shit over it because... These awards, like, we know what they are. And we should just, we should we should also know what they mean to Luka Modric, having gotten it, having often been an unsung hero, having been declared the worst transfer in Real Madrid uh, for of the season overall in La Liga when he first came here. And out of the Real Madrid fan base for a long time, like, people, 
it took a long time for him to be considered among Iniesta and Xavi's level, and now he cemented his legacy. And look, Ronaldo and Messi have enough Ballon d'Ors. I don't think if Ronaldo or Messi won another one, that's going to change anyone's mind about where they stand in the GOAT list, and it's going to change their legacy at all. Everyone's decided their opinion about how good they think those players are. I just, if you're a Real Madrid fan, there's really no excuse from losing your mind. Have your debates, have your opinions, but I saw some a lot of anger, a lot of vitriol aimed at Luca that yeah. can't that can't come from someone who claims to be a Real Madrid fan. Yes, totally agree with that. Um, in terms of what draws his question, um, you know, the actual question uh, was about Hamas and is Hamas close to return? We've been talking about Hamas. I mean, his loan is out um, after this year. He should be a free agent, right, Kian? So. Well, that is, it's a bit I mean, structured. I think differently than that. I think Bayern can just like you know outright buy him. I, oh, I don't know if that counts as a free agent necessarily, but well, it depends yeah. on when his contract would be out. That's true. Um, but I mean, he has that horrific long-term injury he's sitting through now, and there's that whole Kovac situation where it doesn't seem like Kovac is winning anybody in the locker room, any of the experienced players, anyway. I think he's out. I think he's out soon. Yeah, and so. I mean, what happens a few months from now in the springtime? Is the situation much better for Hamas? I don't know. It seems like anybody not named Jop Heinkes, um, there will be like issues with whoever that human <laughs> being is there. Um, but I, I, I don't think an Instagram post has anything to do with it. I think. No, I totally agree with that. Um, Leon Stavronakis asks us, um, we have too many midfielders. Isco Asensio seems like he may not be a top flight winger, although it may be too soon to say for sure. Very much in my view, too soon to say for sure about Asensio. And um, Ceballos, Mateo, Luca, Tony, Fede, Marcos, Casemiro, and Diaz, and Palacios. Who goes? When do they go? Who stays um, to form a balanced deep midfield with each getting um, being able to play min- meaningful minutes? These are questions so, uh, we really don't have the answer to. Well, I like, cannot uh, answer. But it's a good question. It's a good question. It's, so, it's a question that, like, yes, there is, like, at some point you just have to choose. And also, Leon, like, for example, doesn't even mention, or unless I missed it, did he even mention Kovacic? I don't even think he did. No, he, he put Mateo in there, yeah, after oh, yeah. oh, Mateo, okay. Um, I'm Yeah, okay, there he is. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of midfielders. And with Palacios... I don't think anything's going to happen in the winter time, but you know both Real Madrid directors and River Plate have have been vocal and publicly saying that you know there will be talks happening. So he's who is who team. is who is Diaz? I'm blanking out. I don't know who Diaz is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Real Madrid experts right here, guys. Please like, subscribe, become a patron. Hit us up, guys. <laughs> One of you guys Google Real Madrid Diaz. He comes up. I feel like Sergio Diaz is going to... Or Mariano, th- but neither of them are midfielders. Yeah, I thought... Maybe yeah, I'm hitting, I'm hitting blank. Oh, Brahim Diaz from Manchester City. Oh, okay. Oh! He's more of a winger, right. but I I don't I don't think there's anything concrete with there. The thing we talked about Brahim Diaz was a last week game, very briefly. Very I think. briefly. Yeah, we talked about him twice. I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Anyways, I mean, these are questions that we just don't really have the answer to. I think that's it. Yeah. It's this is the hundred million dollar question, sort of. I mean, I uh, and frankly, I think one thing that people don't really incorporate um is that. 
actually there are a lot of spots on a team and it's actually okay. And a lot of people will get very high end minutes over the course of a year. Um, so you actually can have a lot of very good players on the team. It's tough. You can, Gabe, uh, but my my counter to that is that while you can do that, a, they, certain players won't accept it. So we saw, like that, with, we saw that with Kovacic and James. And, and I, James. Think, I think who will accept it is the younger players, like someone like Ceballos or Marcos or Fede. So maybe ultimately that is... The answer is those are the players you keep, or someone like. I think it's. Idea. I think it's worth mentioning. Um, I I know Keon and I had this discussion. Is that we think Modric is leaving at the end of this season, so that will free up a big, um, space potentially. Because yeah. it, I mean, we we think that because that's probably going to be what convinces Kovacic to come back. Otherwise, he could very well decide to push for a move to stay permanently in a very promising team over at Stamford Bridge where he looks to have the starting edge over Ross Barkley. So Luca living leaving would would leave a large hole yeah. that I think a lot of players would fill. Because I don't think anyone at least immediately would have the same undisputed like rank that Luca has in the squad, right? Like I think after him Basically, anyone could be benchable coming into that into that side unless Kovacic comes in and, and, and becomes so good that we're like, he's our guy. Speaking of unbenchable people, Esa Hariri asks us, um, I know this is an unpopular opinion, but Kroos is not my favorite player simply because uh, um, of him being a big defensive liability, a.k.a. lazy. I appreciate all his contributions, but I think um, if Marcos Llorente keeps improving his passing to at least 70% to the level of Kroos, I don't think Kroos is needed as much as before. What do you guys think? How does the GOAT, Marcos Llorente's passing, compare to Kroos in terms of percentage, and what does Kroos bring to the table that Marcos doesn't? Yeah, so I don't agree with this, but I think Esa Hariri would have guessed that because he knows his opinion's an unpopular one. Um, so just kind of to answer all of those questions, um, first of all, Kroos is the best passer in the world. So Llorente coming up to 70% of his level is not going to be nearly enough if we consider him to be a Kroos replacement. And also they play different positions, really. So I don't really understand like the argument that Llorente replaces him. But Kroos brings... First of all, he brings unparalleled midfield control. It, he knows when to slow down, slow down a game, when to speed it up. The we passes. just haven't seen someone with this much understanding and control. I mean, he is the Real Madrid Xavi, basically. Like this is what I remember right. of Xavi. And and he brings also an unparalleled level of vertical passing if the structure is there. And that's one of Marcus's biggest weaknesses at the moment. Keon was talking about it. We think he can improve, but. If I'm going to be real, Llorente is never going to reach Kroos's level of passing ability. And I think it's a bit much to say that Llorente reaches like just Kroos's ability, period. Because while I think Llorente has a great future ahead of him, if, you know, things pan out for him, Kroos has a solid argument probably by the end of his career as one of the greatest midfielders of all time. And he yeah. will have a case as the GOAT central midfielder of all time. So... I think Kroos is just better at everything on the ball. You know, he his his ability to pick apart defenses, his ability to control the game, it's just on another level. And Llorente is just simply never going to be able to match that, and I don't think anyone expects him to. That's an unfair expectation. As for the defensive liability, I think if Kroos is playing in Llorente's position, which is a single-pivot defensive midfielder, 
yeah, I agree that him not really tracking back is an issue. But otherwise, I think we tend to underrate what Kroos can do on defense. He's very intelligent positionally. He's not the worst tackler in the world, even if that's not his amazing strength. It's not like having him there is just this huge burden and everyone has to cover for him. He, he, he carries his weight defensively. It just has to be him playing higher up the pitch. In terms of, I mean, we mentioned this already kind of earlier in the pot too, and so it's nothing necessarily new, but Essa, I think, asks, uh, at least, oh, okay, I missed his question. Just because Yorante keeps, I thought he was asking if his passing percentage is in like his passing accuracy could reach Cruz's level, which like, if you look at their passing accuracy, it's similar, it's yeah. It's almost identical. Tony Cruz, 93.8 pass percentage, uh, <laughs> and Marco Sierrante, 93.7. So they're neck and neck at the two highest on the team. But the difference is Kroos's passes are much more surgical. They're all, they're much, they are much they can make an entire defensive line collapse. And Llorente's are more conserved. To, and, and that's why the context is needed. The best way to look at the two at the moment is Llorente kind of facilitates like the flow of possession he just kind of just lets it flow through him he doesn't interrupt it too much he wins the ball back it goes through him and it quickly switches the other player Kroos imposes his will on the game he makes the game his and I think to a certain extent Llorente will be able to do that in the future that's something I want to see from him as he continues confidence level grows as he continues to grow as a player but it's just never going to be at that level right because I, I think sometimes we forget, right? Like Modric, I think we've done a better job of acknowledging that he's a possible GOAT candidate in midfield. Kroos is as well. And he may even rank higher than Modric by the end of his career simply because because of Kroos's longevity. Because he's won more when he was younger and he's been a key part of so many teams since he was like 21, 22 years old. And we tend to take players yeah. like that for granted when we've seen them for so I long. I agree. You know what's wild also is that Kroos's Kroos averages uh, forty more passes per game than Yorente does, which is just crazy. <laughs> and he has a higher passing accuracy. That's that's that's, that's insane, dude. Yeah. That's insane. It's a lot, um, a lot of passes. Remember, you? I mean, I don't think you were there at the time, but I think you are now because I put Kroos in my all-time squad for Real Madrid. I think you yeah, I was now for sure, right? I was, I was, I mean, I have to go back and look at it. I had a good reason because I think I had Piri ahead of him. Um, but I think by the end of Kroos's career, he's definitely in my squad. Like, there's no question. It was more of a yeah. question. It's like, Modric has just done more at the moment. And Kroos, like, has been a year less and all of that. But by the end of his Madrid career, he's definitely there. There's no doubt in my mind. Yeah. I agree with that. I think right now, though, I think I'm still with Ohm and that, um, I'd rather have Modric right now, um, though by the end I think it very well may not be. Um, all right, some more questions. That these ones are a little bit older, and I apologize that we didn't get to these after we um, recorded our Valencia show. Um, Sheikh Hatiri asks us: um, When I commit to something, I almost never back off. I am such a committed guy that I still support the Iraq War. 
Shay, I think you would imagine that um, you know enough about me and Ohm, I think, that I, we would feel like that's a bit of a yikes from us. But uh, fair enough, man. That does underscore how committed you are. Um, he says, however, Bale is really making me th- rethink my support for him, and so does Asensio. I can see that they are playing for a team that is generally not performing well, but Bale is unperforming even compared to the rest of the team, while Asensio's finishing skills are dropping rather than improving. Should we cut our our losses and why are such pure talents disappointing us well <laughs> there's no secret that we need more from bail i think yeah yeah just, no matter how many excuses you want to make for him he he's not playing in his ultimate op, optimal position uh, whatever you just need more from him and i think mm. Uh, we always make the case that if he's more involved, if he's on the flank, if he's doing other work other than scoring, um, that's great. I think when you don't have that goal-scoring assassin in your team like Ronaldo was, then you start to maybe see some other issues because you're relying on him more and you're not getting his output that you expected. So maybe he's not the guy to lead your team, but he's there as a piece. And maybe we expected too much from him. But, yeah, I mean, there's no question we need more from him. Today was a good start, but, you know. Uh, I think – I don't have anything more to say about that, actually. I don't, Here's what I'll say. I don't think we should cut our losses. I don't think we have losses from either of the two guys, by the way. Like, it really doesn't feel like that's a fair characterization. Like – it's it's not that there's a loss here. It's the question is whether Madrid can do better and 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 not like they're like Bale has been an integral part of the all of the very very high end um t- like all the success in the last few years. He he is a crucial integral part and uh so I don't I just don't think that he it's a loss. So the question is really whether it's time to move on. I don't think it is from either of them personally. I I still yeah. Yeah, I agree. I I think it's just so complex, like, to explain why some guys are performing and not performing, because I think it's different day to day. Like, I think the reasons that Bale wasn't performing at some points in the Lopetegui era is different from what we have now. Like, that's a whole other discussion, and I don't want to get into it because I could literally spend, like, two hours talking about it. I just want to say that I just don't think it's any one thing. I think there's a lot of factors. Like I think you could say Bale could perform better on his own, but I also think like just the instability we've had this season, the unsure tactics, you know, player turnover, like people getting injured, people coming back in. It's just not the most stable environment for for guys to come in and perform at the highest level. Not to not to take responsibility away from them. I, I think. Obviously, some of it is on them. I just very strongly believe not all of it is. Um, all right. Last question here from Nicole Gant, um, good friend of the show. Um, nice to hear you, ba- uh, hear you coming back. Nicole, how you doing? Um, Carvajal, Isco Modric, she says, um, can't wait to hear your thoughts on Carvajal. This is after the, the Valencia game when he looked incredible. She says, I thought he looked amazing. However, I did not watch the whole game, just the first and last 15 to 20 minutes. Modric was lackluster. Did I miss something great in the middle of the game? Uh, and Isco got just 10 minutes, but was he that instrumental in the buildup of the second goal like people are freaking out about? Also, did you guys see Isco's Instagram story? Just wondering what you thought, helping or hurting the situation. So let's go through these one by one. Um, 
watching the first 20 minutes and last 20 minutes of this game, I think you would have gotten a very clear vision of Madrid as the obviously better side. I think basically the entire middle 40 there, or really the, that there's a chunk of the second half where Valencia looked much better, um, but didn't, you know, not in that last 15 minutes. Madrid, like, capitalized on their very much back and forth thing to to, to launch some good counterattacks. Um, uh, I don't think Modric was lackluster. I thought he looked really good personally. Um, he was very involved, very much on the ball. Didn't didn't you know miss many passes and was constantly in the right position. So I thought he actually did have a good game. Yeah, I thought it was his. I thought it was probably his best half of the season. I thought it was like the first half where I really thought I was yeah. watching last year's Modric. Yeah. Um, that whole first half from the whole team actually was great. Yeah. Carvajal, you know, Nicole, you probably already listened to us talk a little bit. Um, since that show because your question probably came in after the podcast but um, to me a, a Carvajal in form offensively changes the entire dynamic of the team whether Marcelo's in the team or not if he's in the team then huge huge bonus but Carvajal in form changes the complexion of our offense completely um, to levels that we haven't really seen and but but we, what we've seen what Rams are capable of when Carvajal's in form in the 16-17 season where he was he was just incredible especially down the stretch of the season uh did we get to the other points yet um we did not get to them yet okay. um oh, sorry I wasn't sure so we left it Isco um Isco. was he as instrumental in the build to the second goal like people are freaking out about oh I don't know if anyone's freaking out a bit I I think <laughs> that, just just ask Sajid how instrumental Isco was. He was he was pretty instrumental to be like fair. Isco, um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, does, he absolutely he absolutely hates him. Oh, not a not a player he hates more. I think I think it may have been Sajid who mentioned in that post game show. One of the questions was he had argued with the key pass. It wasn't the key pass. It was it, it was him. Yeah. No, it wasn't. It was it was it was Isco. Too. <laughs> no, no, no. What? I mean, it was Saji. It was Saji who said. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was Saji who asked. Okay, um, <laughs> but I the build up to that goal was uh, now I have to go back and watch because oh my God, a week has passed. So much time has been removed from it. But um, I wasn't it Carvajal who made the run initially. Like he went like entire length of the field. Yeah, gets, it was and then of, uh, gets it back from Isco and then squares it to uh, Vasquez who scores. So I mean, yeah, sure. Um, I, you know, it wasn't like an earth-shattering um, defense. With respect to Isco's Instagram story, I, I assume you're the you're um, referencing the Instagram story where he did a poll where he was like, "Am I fat?" Mm-hmm. And he did a shirtless photo of himself. Yeah, um, it's an old picture. I have nothing. It's an old picture. <laughs> yes, it's an old picture. I'm so happy I don't have Instagram sometimes because it seems all the nonsense happens on there, and it's just my life is just so much more relaxed because I don't have it. But you're missing all kinds of um, behind the scenes Marcos Llorente training footage. Uh, I can on Instagram. Keon, I, uh, Keon, I get Madrid. it for you because you post you post it on Facebook and Twitter. I get all of it anyway. <laughs> Oh, I have nothing to say about this. Actually, I just don't know. I whatever. <laughs> Posting shirtless selfies with like um, thirsty questions, like "Am I fat?" 
and like you're rocking your six pack, like that's a classic Instagram thing to do. So shout out to Yusko for being a normal person. Who well, it was Instagram the appropriate <laughs> way. It was in reaction to I think it's when he was warming up and he was about to come on, he takes his shirt off, uh-huh. and people were pointing out that he had love handles. People always people are obsessed with this man. Like Yusko has love handles, and I don't know what I am, man. <laughs> what people, is my people, life? People will see an unflattering picture of a superstar athlete who trains every single day and has like a tailored diet and be like, that man is fat. Like, I don't understand. It's just people just like to do it. Like, I, I don't get it. Like, it was a thing for Benzema for a long time. It still kind of is, even though Benzema's clearly fit. Like, I don't know. It's just a thing. Well, hold yeah. on. Can, can <laughs> we, I, I, I'm not, I'm not referring to Isco particularly, but I think, we're allowed to have an expectations that our athletes are in shape because for okay. us three, it's not our job to be in shape <laughs> for them. It is. Okay. So, but what I'm saying is, it's like, how the fuck do you know? Like people are just looking at this one picture. Like, you know, like, you know, that classic one where like you sit down, you kind of crunch your tummy. Like th- those little like lines are always going to appear. It's like pictures like fat, but like the wind is blowing in a player's shirt and they're like, Oh, this guy's a fat ass. Like, how do you know? Like, it, it, and then you always, always a picture comes out later, and it's like you were wrong. Like the only time I can think of is like Ronaldo, it, dude. Right? That so I one of the things that is most vivid in, in my like young fandom life is dealing with the per- persistent and constant Spanish press attacks on OG Ronaldo for being fat. And I don't really, I never understood it because he was always pretty goddamn cut, but. He they they really got at him for being quote unquote fat while he played for Madrid in that first season where he was playing like highest end um, Ronaldo. Uh, so yeah. you know there there is these are not a just too. Too. he had a bit he of did. a thyroid issue too. But I think the point is like you see as great as Ronaldo was in his like in a in a couple of his seasons for Real Madrid and he was really really good. Like, people say, like, he wasn't as best. He wasn't, but he was great still. Um, But then you compare him to, like, the 96-97 Ronaldo, where he's just, like, this Michael Jordan-esque freak athlete. And you can see the difference. And I think the point is, like, can you maximize your ability by being a freak? And that was, like, half what my Llorente column was about, was Llorente does a bunch of extra training off the pitch that, other a lot of players would find extreme but you can I mean, see fair but fair but ronaldo had like health issues that he couldn't really control yeah. and i i just feel like we're just way too presumptuous right like this kind of goes for everything we do as fans but like you can't look at one picture and be like this person's all of a sudden fat now like and even if they are like it could be a ronaldo situation where they have health issues like how many if you really think about it, how many do you really see that you can say are fat? Like, I think one was kind of like Higuain a little bit, like in his Juventus years, people made fun of him. Funnily enough, it didn't really seem to affect him because he had his best seasons as a player ever. And I mean, like all-time great scoring seasons in Serie A. I think he broke the record when he was supposedly fat. So, like, I just think us focusing on this issue is just a bit weird because not only is it just kind of like sometimes rude like considering the Ronaldo situation but we're wrong like 99% of the times we look at this one picture and we're like oh he's fat now and it's like he's fine it's he's not like these guys are professional athletes they know what they're doing 
if you don't post Instagram stories of your workouts, then you're fat to me. <laughs> you know, that's right. Um, all right, everybody. Thanks for, um, you know, checking out, keeping us, uh, keeping the show on. We, I know it's been long, but we had a lot to talk about and um, needed to break down all the East Coast Instagram um, drama. Um, but yeah, he, he looks fine to me, folks. I don't know. Uh, so just, yeah, I feel like we, I was just going to end the show, but then I remembered that I had meant to say that I feel like one of the best ways you don't judge people based on whether they're quote unquote fat. I think it's best based on whether they can run consistently for the entire game. And I think that is really the only metric that you need. I think defining whether like how how much of a cut bod they have is like the least important thing if the same player that you're complaining about can still run you know hard and not lose pace after after the whole game and i think that's the only question it's not about whether isco is you know looking hot or not it's just whether whether he you know after (laughs) 70 minutes can still sprint back in defense right like that's that's all that matters so see see keon disagrees heavily because i mean that that detracts from marcos he is i mean he is one of the most cut like players i've ever seen in my entire life like we can't like but the thing is like the the rule is not necessarily but the better athlete you are the more you're going to maximize your play like Right, but my is point is, true? is that like, but my point is like, all these athletes are doing that, and we're just saying they're not off of like two pictures, right. and then no. and then we pro- we provoke such nonsense as Isco having to like take off his shirt and going on Instagram and asking if he's fat, like, like I want, like you I didn't want have to do that. Come on, <laughs> I, I want like I you just want one of those thirsty clicks. I want That's evidence all. now. Like I want like full like reports and analysis on like fans calling out a player for being fat and actually being like correct and it one not being a health issue and two like affecting their play like because i can only think of two examples one ronaldo legitimate health issue couldn't really control it to a certain extent higuain you know exaggerated maybe or not it did seem like he gained a little bit a bit of weight but in that period he had like all-time great scoring seasons and it, if you watched him play it didn't really uh, seem to yeah i mean also so I want- situation the, the fact that he's coming back from appendicitis, I would totally excuse him anyway for not being 100% in yeah. shape because he actually, like, in a condition like that, because your organs have shifted around, you actually are told not to exercise and take it easy. So, like, naturally, you're going to not be in yeah. top shape, you know? That's 100% right. Um, all right, everybody. We will be back this week. We have a number of things popping up this weekend. Um, uh, this week we have uh, uh, another show in the midweek. Um Keon, I don't know if um, we have our uh, Loney Tracker podcast, Keon, on Tuesday. We have our show on Wednesday. Um, And uh, I don't know if you guys have anything else you want to plug that's coming out. But um, we have tons of stuff up on Managing Madrid, as always. I would, in in particular, uh, underscore some of the uh, more interesting kind of tactical reviews. We've expanded our staff. And shout out to all the awesome people who have... I've uh, been writing really great pieces over the last couple of weeks, but like um, Sophie Serg, I really liked um, always amazing content. Um, and uh, I really, really enjoy uh, Emily Wilson's uh, addition to the staff, our newest writer. So um, I don't know if there's anything else you want to highlight, Ken. Uh I don't think so. Please go read my Macro Ciorente article. It's really good. It's uh, really good. Thanks, Gabe. And, uh, and 
as Gabe said, keep it locked on Managing Madrid. Uh, all kinds of great content. And um, yeah, no, that's it, I think. Oh, patron shoutouts, patron shoutouts. Oh, yeah. Well, hang on. Shout out Jess Howen for writing a, a, a hilarious and awesome piece about Madrid's fourth kit, which yeah. I low key love also. Um, patron shoutouts? Yep. Okay. Um, as you know, if you support us on Patreon, you get a specific shout out on the podcast if you pledge $10 or more. So, shout out to these $10 plus patrons. You guys are all incredible. And um, okay, here we go. Shout out to Red Bat, Frederick Sundros, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Nick DeStefane, Leon Stavronakis, Christian Gonzalez, Bjorn Salvador, Mark Rady, Nicole Gant, Sergio Monleon, Yahya Ibrahim, Willie Reed, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Hatiri, Raghav Reddy, Oluwapamimo, Oladunjoy, Christian Toft, Dan Berthy, Armin Gashi, Tarek Sphere, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Raghav Potluri, Vicky Cohen, Gary Kohut, Sujai Wani, Peña Maridisco, San Francisco Bay Area, Catherine Pagundo, Zoran Bosanchich, Sway Ayala, Rafael Servia, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, Solomon Ortiz, Carolina Reyes, Daniel Smith. Thank you so much, everybody. You're the best. Man, I remember the days when it was just like 10 people and it was like, <laughs> all right, that's pretty cool. And now there's like 3 million, man. This is, it's just it's just so awesome. Shout out Pena Mother Lisa, San Francisco Bay Area. Love you guys. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you guys are the best. Um, we love our Pena's. Um, I would shout out to the uh, video my brother made a few years ago about Penusmo. So um, that's still up on Managing Madrid. Um, anyways. Great talking to you both. We'll talk again on Wednesday. Um, until then, Alamazi. Alamazi. I don't mean to be so uptight, but my heart's been hurt a couple times by a couple guys that didn't treat me right. I ain't gonna lie, I ain't gonna lie. Alexa, play meant to be. Okay. It is meant to be. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today.